I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm a Jake Newcastle supporter. You can get me on Twitter at JakeJackal with two N's, and I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room. Hi guys, I'm Sam. Um, you can find me at Sam double underscore Carp on Twitter. Um, I occasionally write for... The Eagles Beak, the uh, Palace fan site, and you can also probably find me on match days tweeting my discontent on the official Twitter account as well. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Sam, thanks very much for joining us for the very first time, uh, and thanks to Jay for uh, sending you our way. Obviously, everybody very familiar with Jay's stylings over from the Eagles Beak, and then I'm sure translation-wise, uh, yours as well. Uh, we're going to start off with Fulham, though, a uh, club that none of us support, uh, and just kind of bring up their defensive struggles thus far. They've already conceded 25 goals this season, and we mentioned at the start of the year that with all of the uh, transfers that they'd made, especially in the back line, that they basically had a new defense this year, and we kind of questioned whether or not it would work, and in the early stages, it certainly seems to have not uh, do you think Fulham can fix their defensive issues internally with the players they have, or, or will they just have to rely on their attack to score enough to, to carry them through to safety this year? Uh, it's an interesting one, because I think um, everyone was talking about Fulham at, in the transfer window, you know, signed a lot of high-profile players, uh, talking about them as potential top-half contenders. Um, I was always not totally for that view. I thought they, they'd signed a few too many players, and it was perhaps a little... A little top-heavy, and that seems to have been the case. Uh, a few interesting stats. They're currently on course to concede the most goals over the course of a Premier League season, uh, and, and that includes uh, the seasons played over 42 games. So that shows how, how badly oh, wow. they have been defending. And, and that it would break the record for a 38-game season by by 20-plus goals if it, they could keep conceding goals at the current rate. So it is really bad for Fulham at the moment. Um, I think against Arsenal, people are, people are kind of writing it off, saying, oh, it's Arsenal, you know, that can happen. But if you concede four goals against this Cardiff team, that's really not good. And, and I think there are big, big problems at Fulham. Um, I see a lot of um, the Fulham fans I sort of follow on Twitter. They seem to be still behind Jukanovic. I know Russ Goldman, who comes on this show sometimes, he's he's still very pro Jukanovic. And, and I can see why he sort of, you know, built a good team there. He plays good football. The way he talks, I think he's quite likeable. And he seems to have really embraced Fulham. So I can see why they're sort of pro him. But... I just don't think it's been getting any better since the first game of the season. I think there were, there were question marks then when they played Crystal Palace. Um, I think um, Sam might, might might agree, but I think in that game, Fulham were on top for long periods. But it was just a couple of poor mistakes at the back and that let Palace in. Um, and it was just that Premier League quality that Palace had to to win that game. They didn't even play that well, Palace. It was just they took the ch- two ch- the, you know the chances that Fulham gave them. And it seems to have been a, a continual course, uh, continuation for Fulham over the, the next few games. They just... 
they they do dominate a lot of the play and and Kev you you said you're there against Tottenham they played well um for a period after half time but yeah. it's just without the ball they're very bad they're probably the worst team in the Premier League without the ball uh, and that's a problem because they're not always going to have the ball uh, and and in in the periods when they don't have the ball they seem to give up a lot of big chances um I don't think the defenders they've got are that good I think Chambers is a bit dodgy um. I think Mawson, although you know he scored a few goals from set pieces, I think he's always been a bit shaky at the back, and I don't think he's really been the answer either. Um, and I, I and and you know they've got three goalkeepers, and I don't know which one to play. They brought in two really good goalkeepers, I think, uh, over the over the summer. Uh, Sergio Rico, who was at Seville before, he's a really good goalkeeper, but he's just not really been given a chance. They've gone for Bettinelli, so it seems seems they don't really know which players to play, uh, and that seems to be a big problem. I also mm. think Mitrovic is a problem. Uh, I know he scores a lot of goals, but um, as a Newcastle fan, I've seen a lot of Mitrovic and and he you need the team to play completely for him and sometimes that can really damage a defensive setup. That's why he wasn't about he didn't fit under Benitez because he really did he didn't do any work up top and it, the team really needed to be suited for him. And Fulham have built the team around him and they've got the best out of it, but I think it's been to the detriment of their own defense because he he doesn't do a lot off the ball, uh, doesn't hold up the ball very well, and I think that there's problems there. So I I think it's a massive problem and and I don't see where out of the current squad in the current manager, they're going to fix it. And 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 I think it's it's wishful thinking to think they attack and score as many goals as they're going to concede to keep them up. I just don't think it's going to happen. So I, I think I think they're definitely relegation candidates. And I I think that for me, there's probably five or six teams that, that are in danger of going down. I'd say Newcastle, definitely one of them. Huddersfield, Cardiff, Fulham. Um, Burnley and Southampton they're the six for me I, I, I think they're they're all in the, and, and if Fulham keep conceding goals like that I think they're going to be one of them I just they you can't score a rate to, to get you know to protect um can't score a rate to really warrant defending like that and I think if it that you know I think Jukanovic is probably going to have to go and I wouldn't be surprised if Fulham got rid of him quite quickly um I think that the board there has spent a lot of money and he's not the answer I don't think especially at the back uh, and unless they've you know if they want to wait till January sign a load more players in defense they can but i think that's a risk i think because that's what they did to get them into this situation exactly yeah exactly so i think they're gonna have to you know they're gonna have to, i think Jokanovic is gonna be the one to go because i just don't think he can coach a defense i just don't think he can and i think that now he's not coaching a team at the top of the championship i think he now, he now needs to coach a defense he can't do it so i think yeah i, I, I can't see it improving anytime soon it's one of those things isn't it? i mean they've they spent really big in the transfer window, but what we've kind of got to remember is that they're now building a back four from nothing. They've it, sort of on that opening day, I think they started something like eight or nine new signings against us, and it's not all going to click into place straight away. It's um, it's quite a weird strategy. Um, they've not really had a consistent back four throughout the season. You've sort of they're testing Chambers and Mawson. Uh, the next game it might be Chambers and Ream. It might be Chambers and Lamarchand or someone else. It's um. So it all just seems kind of like they're just dropping players and hoping they sort of fall into pl- into place. And sort of harking back to that uh, get, that game on the opening day that you mentioned, Jake. Um, you're right. Palace didn't play very well at all. I was there. Um, Fulham kind of dominated for large parts. Um, it's interesting what you mentioned about Mitrovic as well because I thought he um, kind of pinned Saka and Tompkins in a way that I'd never seen a striker do before. Um, but at the same time, we went in one one up at half time, having not really had to do very much. Um, and as they sort of started chasing the game became even more expansive in their play it just opened up more and more gaps for players like Zaha and Townsend to exploit and it just looked increasingly likely that we could kind of score two, three, four and uh, we hadn't really done done enough to kind of deserve that sort of result in the first place and I think it's kind of 
they're sort of they've come up playing exactly the same way they did in the championship which is a very attractive brand of football it's good to watch it's attacking but if you can't you can sort of get away with it in in the lower divisions when you can when you can expect to sort of score more than your opposition you're going to say right if you score two we'll back ourselves to score four or five that's you're not going to get away with that in the premier league the defenses are a lot savvier um the attacks a lot the attack the attack is a lot more clinical um and i think that's kind of something which has caught them by surprise so far this season yeah, they, they do look in genuine trouble at the moment. I mean, Cardiff had scored four goals before this week, and then they scored four in this week. Um, also, for a little seasonal context, last year, Manchester City conceded just two more goals all season than what Fulham have conceded here through, what, week eight, week nine? Um, so it's it's very, very much a problem there, uh, to be sure. I, I, I would specifically like to clue in on Alfie Mawson, because I thought that the fact that they got him for... Um, what was it like? Twenty million from Swansea after there had been reports of thirty earlier in the in the market. I thought that had been an absolute steal. But I think what we're finding out is he needs to be playing with somebody a bit more solid than himself to allow him to kind of get that range, get forward a little bit more, pass and distribute in, in that way. But without that player, because there's nobody that's solid next to him right now. Like <laughs> Jake, you might disagree considering he plays for you now. But Federico Fernandez seemed a good pair with. Um, Alfie Moss, and of course, at times they played Vanderhorn there as well in a back three. But it just seems like he can't he can't carry the defense on his own, and it, it leads to this really weird situation, like you mentioned, where I think they have to address it in the transfer market. But addressing this position in the transfer market is what led to all of these problems. So it, they're really playing from behind in that sense, where you're gambling to fix your previous failed gamble, which is not typically something that you want to do, uh, is be caught in a hole like that. Um, But I agree. I I don't think they can score enough to get themselves out of this problem. They have to find a solution to the problem fast uh, if they want to stay in the Premier League, which, as both of you mentioned, is kind of crazy considering um, the kind of clout that they brought with them uh, up to the Premier League. All right, now we're going to move on to uh, Nikola Vlasic, which may surprise some people as he's not currently in the Premier League, but he is still a player of Everton's on loan at Seska Moskva, currently playing in the Champions League, of course. Uh, he was recently quoted saying that the only, that only the top six sides in the Premier League play great football under foreign managers, while the rest only focus on defending and physicality, obviously paraphrasing here. But do you agree with that uh, take or not? And if you do think that that's the case... Do you think it's a problem if that's if that's what's happening here? I mean, I mean, this is this is interesting based on what we've just moved on from because Fulham can't defend and they play attacking football. <laughs> so in that sense, it's completely wrong. Uh, I get his point to an extent. I think when you're playing for one of the the teams below the top six, you always you know you, you're not going to be competing for league titles. There's going to be a you know there's going to be times when you have to defend. There's going to be times when you know. Perhaps physicality does win out over over style. It's not the Spanish league. We don't. There's not many teams that opt to pass a, a, a big. Uh, you know, a lot of the time. I think Palace are a good example. I think Palace play good football on the whole, but I think there's a lot of physical players in that team, and I think at times, you know, they can rely on set pieces. They can, you know, go go direct, and I think that's a tactic all Premier League teams need. I think it's maybe the style of the league rather than you know the teams opting to play that way. I just think it's it's just the way you know you need to play sometimes. Uh, you know. If Everton tried to play like Manchester City against Manchester City, they'd be beaten. So, you know, there's got to be a case of um, being a little bit um, proactive with your tactics and, and playing a way to suit your opponent. I think Newcastle, we're a great example of that. I think 
at times under Benitez, it might not seem like at the moment, but some, at times we can play some quite good football. But when we play the big teams, we're quite often criticised for our tactics. Uh, we have to defend, we have to barely move out of our half, but that's the way that we, you know, occasionally sometimes get a result. So that, that's the way we're going to play. Um, I just think for if for a player, I can see, I can see why you'd want to play in the Premier League uh, for one of these mid-table teams because you know there's a lot of you know, the money that goes with it, that the the exposure you get. But I think that you might have a bit more fun playing your football abroad in a league that you know isn't so dominated by top six uh, six teams that are just so much better than the rest and that have the finances and the you know the resource the resources the um, the training ground, the stadium that's just so much better than the rest. I think I can see why players don't want to play that way. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of teams that play good football. I think Bournemouth play good football. I think Huddersfield play some very good football at times. And I think the way they approach games against the top six is slightly different to the rest. I think they're a little bit more um, proactive. They're a little bit more likely to attack against Liverpool. They were quite leave. They were quite often leaving three on three at the back, which was crazy but it seemed to work for them and they created a lot of chances and, and they actually outshot Liverpool in the game and, and attempted more shots and goal against Liverpool than any team has in the Premier League this season even more than Manchester City so you know there are ways to be a, a, attacking against the top top teams at work but you need to have a manager that can that can coach that style and I think a lot of the managers in the Premier League rather uh, prefer to, to be a little bit more defensive because at the end of the day their job's on, on the line and if you go away to Manchester City and get beat six, doesn't matter who you are, you're going to come under criticism, and you're you're if another couple of poor results, you're going to be under pressure. So I can see, I can see why managers don't opt to play that way. But there are teams that do. I, do, I think Vlasic's comments have a little bit of merit, but I think it, it as an overall statement, it's a little bit wrong because uh, I think there are teams that play some good football uh, and approach games against the top six teams in, in a positive manner. But on the whole, I can I can see why he's, he's made those comments. I just think they're not completely factual. <laughs> I think um, I think the problem is that it's such a top-heavy league. Is that um, people sort of it's only sort of highlighted uh, the way that the teams outside the top six play when they're playing against the top six. Um, mm. So you don't actually notice that they are playing quite good football when they're playing against each other because they've always there's always sort of been that sort of idea that there's the top six they have their own league and then there's the rest below it. There's that team that's trying to finish in seventh, which incidentally was. Burnley last year, who probably don't play the most glamorous brand of football. Um, <laughs> but, at, I mean, at the, at the same time, like you said there, Palace played some decent stuff last year, I thought. Um, again, Bournemouth this year, Watford have been playing some all right stuff as well. It's it's just, yeah, I think it's quite a sort of, it's an easy thing for Vlasic to say, especially being at a club like Everson, which is kind of on that periphery as well. They've sort of, they flirted with the top six in the past. They, they also that they've sort of played an attractive brand in the past as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't think I don't think I agree with him. Um, I think it's kind of you've got to adapt to the opposition that you're playing. Teams aren't going to come out and be extremely expansive against Manchester City because they don't have the players at their disposal to do so. Um, whereas if, for example, Bournemouth are up against Palace, they're more likely to sort of go at them, um, push more players forward. But if you do that against one of the top sizes, then you're going to get punished. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that if you only watch the top six, you'd think every other team was defensive. Um, but as you said, when, when they play each other, you get really interesting matches. Um, I was kind of hoping that uh, Wolves-Watford would be that 
this week, but it wasn't. Um, but a lot of times you do. You do see teams come out and play some really expansive and exciting football. Also, Jake, I thought your Huddersfield shout may catch some people by surprise just based on how poor their standings are. But in central midfield, they're actually pretty good. Like, Billing has had a fairly good season. They just cannot score goals for the life of them. Um, maybe them and Fulham should, like, combine and make some weird fusion. Um, but, uh, yeah, on, on the whole, I, I, I do disagree with these comments uh, um and i'm not sure i would have put it as succinctly as the fact that it, it's what happens when you only watch top six matches and who they're playing um so we'll just uh, we'll just leave it there very well said sam uh we'll wrap up with uh news and notes by talking about manchester united uh it's increasingly looked like Mourinho is going to stay we're going to avoid all of the antics again from the weekend um just because it gets very tiresome if you're going to try to keep up with all that although admittedly this time he was somewhat the victim um but sweeping that under the rug with him looking more and more like he's going to be staying at manchester united past this season especially with his recent comments about being willing to stay beyond this contract what do you think like the best case scenario is for manchester United in 2018-19 yeah it's a it's an interesting one I think the best thing for Manchester United is is probably target the cup competitions now and just hope for the best in them I think on their day they could probably beat anybody in the Champions League I don't think there's a lot of good there's there's not many standout teams in Europe this season I don't think um uh, Real Madrid have got their problems I don't think Barcelona are completely unbeatable uh, and I think any Exactly. So I think there's a lot of Premier League teams that can look at that competition with, you know, with confidence. Man United are one of them. Mourinho has his faults, but he's won that competition before two different clubs. So you know, he's he's not totally hopeless. <laughs> I just think I just think there have been problems, but that you can take a lot of encouragement out of it. Is to the two recent matches, the second half against Newcastle, they were good. Um, the second half against Chelsea, they were good. You know, if they put those performances in over 90 minutes, they'll start winning games even against the, the bigger teams. So I think they should look for that. Um, and you know, the, I think they could still still try to do something in the league. I think Champions League finishes beyond them. I think Arsenal and Tottenham and Chelsea, you know, that they, they've all started a lot better. But I think they're the teams that Man United can look to compete with. Um, it's just it's difficult, but I think target the cup competitions and reassess at the end of the season. I don't think they're going to get a quality manager to replace Mourinho. So. I just wait to the end of the season and ride it out and just see what happens. I think they even Mourinho in his current state can win competitions and he rarely doesn't get success. So I think if they look for those cup competitions, they could do all right. Um, but I think there's been there's been reason to be optimism recently. I think they're even though the the first half performances against Newcastle and, and Chelsea weren't great. I think and some of the goals they can see in the very poor. I think at least there's a bit of a reaction after that. And and I think if they can manage to to find a team let them settle, let them, you know, grow together, um, don't make so many changes and try to keep the media sort of circus around the club to a minimum, which is difficult with Mourinho in charge. But, you know, the way, I think the way he managed that touchline spat at the weekend was quite good for him. I think he managed it quite well afterwards. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think, I think they should have got rid of it. They, sh- you know, he shouldn't have been allowed to stay around for this season. I think there was, there was cracks in the relationship uh, between him and a lot of the players over the at the end of last season and in the summer, I think maybe a change could have been made then if Man United were, you know, thinking ahead and really considering if he, if he was going to be a success this year. But now that decision wasn't made, I think they just got to stick with him and just hope for the best. But like I say, I I, I could see them doing going quite far in the Champions League. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I I think that's that's the type of thing that Mourinho could do. They they won the Europa League a couple of seasons ago, so they've got that European experience. Last year in the Champions League was a bit disappointing. But I think 
I think they could target that. And, and if if they put everything in that basket, it's a massive risk. But you know the rewards are massive. And if 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 they did, I I think they could compete in that competition. So I think that's what they need to do. Just just ride out. Hope hope you know to put a few results together in the league. Try and get in around that top four and just just try and win a cup. And it's it's not great for Manchester United, but. It's better than what they had under Van Gaal and Moy, so I think they've just got to, got to take it and then reassess in the summer, uh, and that's probably when the change needs to be made. Then I'd be really, really frustrated if I was a United fan because every time it looks like Mourinho is on the cusp of getting sacked, he manages to pluck a result out of nowhere or a couple of decent performances. Because to be honest, it kind of it always just feels like it it feels like it's only going to end one way with him. Um, I mean, if, I think a few good performances can kind of mask the underlying or paper over the cracks, however, whatever you want to call it, um, mask the underlying issues. But fundamentally, United haven't sort of been playing the football that um, that the fans want them to be playing for years. Well, not since Fergie left. I don't think they've made the right managerial appointment since since he retired. And um, I think with Mourinho, he sort of. It's almost, I always feel like players like Lukaku, Rashford, uh, Martial, even Sanchez, they're kind of like prisoners under his leadership. It, kind of, it really frustrates me to watch. And I, I can kind of imagine that as a United fan, it must be even worse when you have these sort of players at your disposal and they're forced to sort of play this much more sort of conservative approach. Whereas I think if they had a manager with a sort of more expansive, um, what's the word, kind of like ideology or the way he approached approached games... They'd be a really, really exciting side to watch. Whereas I still, whenever I'm watching the United game, I feel like they're being strangled to an extent. They're, st- they're strangling the game, and yeah, they're just still they're still not sort of where they should be. It's um, it's all well and good saying yeah, challenge for the top four, have a go at the cups, but this is this is Manchester United. They're a team that should be sort of they should be challenging for titles. Um, they shouldn't be sort of they shouldn't be sort of thinking right. Oh, um, maybe one or two. Maybe we'll have a have a run in the cup this season. They should be sort of right up there every single time. Um, they're a club that's been built on that kind of success, and um, I think Mourinho gets a little bit of an easy ride just because he kind of creates headlines elsewhere a lot of the time. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you brought up their negative play style, especially in juxtaposition to our last topic point, which was mm-hmm. saying that the top six sides all play great football. And here mm. you have a side that, at least financially, is certainly in that conversation, um, that <laughs> clearly are not playing very fun football. Um, it's it's a it's a very strange one. We had already scheduled the um, uh, Manchester United segment uh, with Joshi to to discuss what was going to happen when uh, Mourinho was sacked and who were they were lining up. Mm. And then he again, like you said, he just pulls it out again to kind of ensure his safety at the club and and those matches must be very frustrating for fans as well because um it shows what they're capable of it's it's like the the most monumental tease that in these situations like two nil down against city last year the two nil down against uh newcastle this year after they go behind against chelsea um it's like uh, it's the perfect example of everything you've complained about at your club and then all of a sudden for half an hour they turn it on um, mm-hmm. And then you have to wonder why can't they play that way the rest of the time? They do look like they're strangling themselves and, and their creativity is being stifled. A lot of that is that every wide player at that club is actually supposed to be a striker, um, <laughs> which certainly doesn't help with Martial and Rashford both being shifted out wide um, because they signed Ibrahimovic. And then you think they're finally going to get a shot. Then they get rid of Ibrahimovic. Oh, nope. Now they're going to sign Lukaku. Um mm-hmm. 
Now, with Lukaku struggling, it would be very interesting, especially having just come off a brace, if we did see Martial play up front, or if they did let Rashford play up front, um, which may free them a little bit just because Lukaku has not really looked up to it this year. But on the whole, I, I, I think Jake hit it on the head that the best chance is cup competitions and aiming for top four. But I'm not sure how confident they can be in that right now. Uh, admittedly, uh, Tottenham aren't playing uh, particularly well. Neither are Liverpool, but both are picking up points, which both clubs have typically uh, dropped even when they were playing excellent football. So this this year is going to be a little bit different at the top. Um, City and Chelsea both obviously playing well. Uh, and, and I've mentioned many times on the show, Chelsea is the side that I'm really worried about um, because we know what City are. They, they're probably going to walk away with the title, but this Chelsea side is just really starting to grasp the sorry system. Um, and they are more talented than Napoli's squad were. Um, and, and we saw what they what he could do there. Um, so yeah, for Manchester United, top four, maybe a, a really good cup run, but not much aside from that until they do get a new manager in there for me. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. All right, and we are back. We'll lead in with you, Jake, and it kind of follows up that last topic fairly well because I want to talk a little bit about that Newcastle-Manchester United match. Obviously, Newcastle go up 2-0. It kind of felt like that was the turnaround that we had been waiting to see from Newcastle that was going to kind of catalyze uh, some momentum and really push you forward through the season, except then that second half happens, um, and especially that last 15 minutes, it really felt like it was coming. What did you take away from that match? Were there more positives at the time because it seemed like you were finally performing well, or is it negatives in the way that you threw away the result? Um, I think it's mainly negative. I think if you're tuning up against any team, uh, especially you know what was going on at Man United at that time, I think you know you've got to see that for especially with Benitez as your manager, he's very good at organising teams. He's quite good at keeping. You know, I think we've got. Um, one of the best goal dif- we had one of the best goal differences in, in the league last season outside the top six um and one of the best defenses as well so you know i think 
it was disappointing. Uh, you don't expect a, a Benitez team to concede three goals in the half, and that's what happened. Um, I think there's reasons for it. I think some of the substitutions were poor. Um, and I just think it's. I just think with Newcastle at the moment, it's just a, uh, it's just a cycle of losing games. And when you when you've got a cycle like that, it's difficult to, you know, to stop it. Once one goal went in, it became an inevitability. Just because we 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 lose games, and that, that's just the fact of it. We we're, we're a losing team, so things like that happen. I think in the first half, there's a lot of positive to take. I think we should have probably been three 0 up. I think there was a chance we should have had a penalty as well. So we can look back at that and be a little bit annoyed. But that's just been the case of our season. Like, we don't take our chances. So even when we were 2-0 up, you know, we've taken two of them. We still should have taken another one. And even at 2-2, we had a chance with DRMA. So it was it was, it was was disappointing, I think. I think we should have we should have won that game, really, um, based on the position we were in uh, and with the manager that we have. But we didn't. So we've got to shake ourselves down from that. And then, you know, home against Brighton, that's the game you think you should be getting three points from. Uh, especially with Brighton's away record, I think it's quite bad. But you know, again, it was just—if you look at the stats, like it's ridiculous how dominant we were in that game. Uh, expected goals has us at two to 0.4. I've seen a couple of models say so. You know, we we were much the better team and we created a lot more chances. It's just a—it's a lack of finishing them. And I think when Brighton scored from their only shot on target. It's just an inevitability then because you know we're a losing team. Once you go one 0 down, it's impossible to shake that. So it's an I I think there's been a lot of positives to take from that. There were positives to take from that first half performance against Man United. There's positives again to take from that performance against Brighton, even though we didn't win. I think we were the better team. And and if we if we play like that more often than not, and that once we get a couple of results under our belts on, with Benitez as coach, you know we'll be fine. But it's it's getting to that, and it's it's how long that's going to take. I think. We don't play a top six team till Boxing Day now. So if we're still in the bottom three on Boxing Day, we've got a massive problem, I think. I think this is a massive period for us. We've got uh, Southampton away next and they've only won once this season. So that's a winnable game for us. And I think maybe going away from home, away from St. James's Park, away from that sort of... It's not a negative atmosphere, but it's it's an almost like everybody expects us to lose if we go one nil down, and, and it's difficult. I, I, I don't. I'm not saying the fans are negative, but I just think it it can get like that when you're at home sometimes. So I think going away from home, I think that might be a little bit more helpful to the players. Um, and I, I I think I think we're gonna we're gonna get there eventually. I can't see. I still don't think Benitez will get us relegated over over the course of the whole season, even in our current position. I don't think it's gonna happen. I think we're going to be okay eventually, but it's it's the getting there. And I think we are currently, you know, the, the reason for our position, I think nobody is faultless. I think Benitez has made some errors. I think the players have to sort of step up and, and there's a lot of players in that team playing beneath themselves at the moment. So whether they need to be dropped, that's another question. But then do we have the players to come in? We don't because we spent our summer... Pin, you know, pinching pennies. Mike actually didn't want to spend money, and this is where we're at now. We've, we're, we've. This is this is completely of our own doing, completely of Mike Ashley's doing. And I don't, although I don't agree with, you know, giving Benitez no criticism at all because he's made mistakes. Like the team, the squad that is there should have had more points than we currently do. So there has to be fault at Benitez's door, but he's managing with it, two hands tied behind his back, so it's difficult to really. To really dig into him because if he'd have been given a fair budget over the summer, we would we would be we you know we would have progressed. We finished tenth. We had a, we had that was a chance for us to progress and we didn't take it. And now we're back 
at the bottom, and I think it's going to be like this until Mike Ashley sells the club. And uh, I just hope that's someday soon because at the moment it's just depressing to be a Newcastle fan, to be honest. Yeah, I want to actually touch on one of those transfer topics, which was um, after a uninspiring first uh, campaign for Newcastle, it looked like you were going to replace Jossalu, um by bringing in both uh, Yoshinori Muto, uh, who of course scored that goal against Manchester United, as well as Solomon Rondon, which I thought was a very uh, good signing for the little amount of money you were going to spend. Yet it's Jossalu of the three of them that currently has the most goals with uh, two, admittedly. But is that what you view as one of the primary problems, is, is that even when you do try to pr- improve in some areas, the improvements aren't really living up to the billing? That's exactly it. I, I think we're, we're a team that don't improve our squad well enough. I think over the summer, we sold Mikel Marino, who was an under-21 Spanish international, who had a lot of talent and for the first half of last season was one of the best midfielders in the league. We sold him and we brought in Ki Sung Young on a free transfer. Like that, that is senseless. He's 29 years old. Where is the sense in that deal? Where is Where are Newcastle benefiting? And the, and the fact is, we haven't benefited from that at all. Uh, the same with Dwight Gale. We we loaned out Dwight Gale. He's doing well. Um, and we sold Mitrovic for, for what is reported to be £27 million. Where did that money go? Well, it didn't really go anywhere because we spent about £7 million on Muto and we got Rondon on a, on a loan. So where is this money going? I don't know where it's going. And that's the problem. It, it, if, even if we'd have only spent what we'd brought in. Even then, we'd still have a better squad than we do now. It's it's ridiculous. I think Rondon could be a good signer, but he, he wasn't fit when we signed him. He's not really been fit since then. Um, eventually, when he gets up and going, I think he'll be good. I think Muto has a, little bit, has a lot of potential. Uh, and, and I think... But I think with him, I think he's better suited to playing alongside somebody, and Benitez doesn't play with two strikers. So it's a signer that doesn't make a lot of sense in that in that respect, unless he goes on to replace Perez in the sort of number 10 position. Uh, and Perez has been terrible this season, so that is something that we should look at doing. But, you know, when we do spend money on a player, like last summer we spent £12 million on Jacob Murphy, he's barely given a game, and then his brother goes and joins Cardiff and seems to score every week. It's it's Even when we sign players, we should have signed their brothers, basically. It's, it's ridiculous. So we, you know... I think, but he is doing his, he's not doing, you know, he's doing as best as he can. And, and I'm, even a manager of his ilk will make mistakes. So, you know, there are times when he is at fault for things. But, you know, if we just spend a bit more money, we probably wouldn't be where we are now. But we are where we are now. So we've got to make the most of it. And and I think, I think if, if you know, we're still, we will be near the relegation show when it gets to January. That's, that's pretty much a fact. But so, so in January, I would expect us to go and spend some money. But then at that point, is it too little, too late? It might be. But um, yeah, I, th- I think striker is a problem. Um, it's been a problem for us for a long time, probably since we sold Denver Bar. But, you know, that's, that's where it's at. So just got to make the most of it. I'd, I'd, I'd like us to go forward with, with Muto and, and Rondon playing together. I think there was a stage last season when Benitez did go 4-4-2. Uh, and that was around the time before Christmas that we started to pick up last year. So hopefully we'll return to that and, and that will do something. But yeah, it's, it's just... It's difficult to be optimistic, but when I'm looking at it completely, you know, taking my Newcastle leaders out of it, I just can't see Benitez getting that going down over a whole a full Premier League season, regardless of what players he's got at his disposal. I think he'll find a way to get there eventually. It's just at the moment we're just in a in a run of losing games, and I think Palace had it last season as well. Um, although there's a lot more there was a lot more talent in that Palace squad. Once they got a couple of results, it did seem to turn. And I, I, with the fixtures we've got coming up, I'd expect that at Newcastle. It might be a couple of draws to start with. But I just think 
we will it will turn soon i just i don't think it will it has to turn soon i just can't see it i just can't see us keep losing games with Benitez. maybe i'm overrating Benitez a little bit but i just can't see it happening so mm. I, it's got to turn soon that's what i think yeah there were times that were sorry go ahead sorry um sorry a newcastle aside that i really kind of sympathize with it's kind of i don't know how true this stat is but i saw it on twist the other day i just pulled it up um kind of premier league net spend since the summer of 2017 uh you've got brighton who have spent 110 million huddersfield who have spent 78 million and then newcastle's is 1 million uh which is just staggering considering those three obviously came up at the same time um and it's you sort of look at newcastle it's this massive massive club this massive fan base and i've always sort of looked at them and thought of them as kind of a sleeping giant um and you've got this fantastic manager at the helm as you say but he's sort of working off peanuts at the moment and it kind of becomes more and more worrying every week because um the results aren't improving and because you haven't improved that squad it kind of you look at it and you think like who is going to be the one who sort of turns these results around i mean benitez is a very very good manager but if he hasn't sort of got the players at his disposal to to do so, then you that's when I think it sort of becomes a bit more of a concern. I, I will tell you the player who's going to turn it round for us. And it, and it, he has been excellent for the last couple of games, and that's John Joe Shelby. He, we are a one-man team at the moment, and he's he's the guy doing it. He the, the just some of the parts he picks out, the amount of times he releases our players from goal, it's he's the man. He's going to take it by the scruff of the neck, and he's going to turn it. I think, and I, and I think Rondon once he gets fit, he, he's capable of scoring 10 tenish goals. Uh, and 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 I don't think there's going to you know as much as I like Shelby. It's probably not going to be one player that turns it for us. It's going to be the system. And it, that's how we got results last year. It's the system. It was being disciplined. It was being defensive, as Vlasich was, was talking about. That was exactly what Newcastle were. And that is eventually going to, what's going to do it for us. I just think it's just going to take one result for the players to get a bit of confidence. And it, although we didn't strengthen, like these players did get us 10th last season. So I think... That I don't I don't agree it's a championship squad. I think I think it's a it's a bottom half of the Premier League squad and I think there's a bit of talent there. But I think I think we've got enough about us to, to be confident of, of getting out of it, even with what we've got at the moment. It's just I think at the moment it's just it's just there's a lot of negativity and I think that's just leaking into the team and it's just causing these results. But you just we all know in football, one or two group results that switches it, and I think that's that's all it will take for Newcastle. Uh, I don't think it's helpful that Mike Ashley is always at games at the moment. I think that's really taken away from it's it's taken away from what we need to focus on. Now that's results on the pitch, but you know he, he has every right to go to games as owner, uh, and I don't know what he's doing there because he doesn't really show an interest. So it, it, there's some there's something going on, and and it, I'm sure it will come out soon. And I I don't think Benitez will leave before the end of the season. So. On, on that basis, I think we'll be fine. But mm. I could be wrong. And I, I, I think we're one of the teams that, that need to worry about relegation. But I'm just not getting totally carried away about it yet. You know, it's only been... We haven't played 10 games yet. You know, we, I, I think we've got a lot of... And we've played, we've played five of the top six. So mm-hmm. the results against Brighton uh, and Leicester at home were very poor. But I think we played we played five of last year's top six. And in those games, we scored in every one of those games, which is ridiculous. But against... Any team that we played that wasn't in last year's top six, we haven't scored, and, that, and that's a problem. So, I think the fixtures haven't been kind to us, and but I think you know that that it was the result against Brighton was awful, and that was a game that that really does look bad. But I think it's just one game, and we got Southampton next, uh, and if we win that, completely different complexion on us, I think. Mm. 
Yeah, we mentioned um, Newcastle's struggles up front, which unfortunately, Sam, is a relatively easy segue over to Crystal Palace. Um, Benteke obviously struggled last year, didn't get off to a scoring start this year. Then uh, his last match started with September 1st, and you've only scored two league goals since then. What's the solution up front for you right now? To be honest, I don't think we have one at the moment. Um, it's been a problem, I'd say. I say it goes all the way back to when Glenn Murray left, actually, to an extent. Um, we sort of we had this sort of summer where Glenn Murray left, Dwight Gale left, um, Benteke came in. Um, and in all fairness to Benteke, he actually had a really good first season, scored something like 16, 17 goals, um, helped us to stay up. But obviously, <laughs> since then, it's kind of been a downward trajectory and he just... I've started to think that he's cursed in all honesty because there have been some chances that he missed or I think it's physically impossible to do so. Um, And since he's been injured, it's kind of become apparent that there's not actually a better solution within the squad. Um, For all his kind of goal-scoring faults, Benteke is a player who will sort of occupy two centre-backs, who'll give the defenders something else to think about and sort of create that space for Zaha and Townsend to sort of have a bit more freedom to run into. And that's kind of when Zaha is at his most dangerous. So I think the big problem for us at the moment is that Benteke being out, um, teams are instantly kind of recognising that Zaha is the only threat. And if they, if you shut out Zaha, you essentially shut out Palace. And um, yeah, it's become very, very obvious that Jordan Ayew isn't a guy who's going to kind of get you 10 goals a season, um, especially not in our system, I don't think. Um, Alexander Sorlot. Um, a guy we signed last year, relatively unproven, um, Norwegian, still quite young. Uh, whenever he's played, he's sort of not looked like a Premier League striker. Um, he hasn't quite looked up to speed. And then our only other option, I guess, is playing Townsend and Zaha through the middle together, um, which is something that worked effectively last year. But teams kind of seem to have savvied up to it. Um, but I think one of the main problems at the moment really uh, is our is our midfield. We kind of haven't we haven't figured out. Hodgson has, or Hodgson at least, hasn't figured out what our best team is. Um, Johan Kabai left over and the summer. Ruben left us. Sorry, say that again. And it's October. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, he brought in Max Meyer over the summer, uh, Coyote from West Ham as well. Um, two very decent players. Obviously, Matt Meyer came with a very good reputation, but we haven't seen much of him. Um, Coyote has sort of proven himself in the Premier League over the last couple of seasons. Um, and yet, Hodgson seems happy to persist with Jeffrey Schlupp in a kind of three-man midfield, which is bizarre considering that he normally functions as a left-back or a left-winger. So it's kind of of been one of those this season where there's been a lot of head-scratching from the fans because it's kind of, we've kind of thought that it feels almost like the team should be picking itself and then Hodgson sort of goes and picks another one. Um, So yeah, it's all a bit bizarre at the moment. I think we've kind of, we've always been one of those teams that tends to have these slow starts every year um, and then everyone looking from the outside will think, oh, why are Palace struggling? Because they've got such a good quality squad and it's even it's even more frustrating for us because we can't actually figure it out ourselves. Um, and the problem is I don't think we can keep relying on these kind of uh, turn-of-the-year pick-up runs of form because, I mean, you look at last season, we finished it playing some really good football. We beat Leicester 5-0, we beat West Brom 2-0 on the last day of the season. We were sort of going to places, playing some playing some really good stuff and I think Palace are probably one of the very very few teams who have a unique ability to kind of put out any positivity within months and it's sort of 
there's a I know that Jake was talking there about the negativity at Newcastle at the moment. It's sort of pervading through the stands at Palace, especially with the whole sort of situation with the Homesdale fanatics as well not being there. Um, sort of every murmur of discontent sort of is growing louder and louder at the moment. It's a bit it's a bit concerning. Yeah, another weirdly concerning thing, at least from the outside looking in, it seems like literally every week you lose a match late in that match. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any way to uh, fix that? Is it is it tactics? Is it just tired legs towards the ends of matches? Or am I wrong and it doesn't happen as frequently as it seems? Um, so yeah, that's been another bugbear of this season actually with um, Hodgson. Is kind of, it's just It's been very confusing, his sort of reluctance to make any substitution we've been getting to 60 70 80 minutes and it's becoming quite apparent that the, that the players are tiring or the system isn't working and we aren't breaking the opposition down um and sort of Hodgson still stood there on the touchline there's no subs getting warmed up and I think Sunday's game against Everton was kind of a a prime example of that happening we sort of we had a good we had we were in the game obviously Milivojevic missed the penalty um and then Everton started to grow into it a little bit more and they brought on Calvert-Lewin and Shane Tosson, who obviously both of them went on to score. Um, and I think the real kick in the teeth was that as soon as that happened, as soon as they went 2-0 up, Hodgson decides to make his first substitution of the game. Um, yeah, I and, think they had made all three before you made your first. Yeah, and it's just strange because it's not... We have a we have a stronger bench than we did last year. I mean, obviously, Meyer's been on the bench most of the time. Criate's been on there a few times. Um, and there have been a, quite a few games like the Bournemouth one we conceded late Watford was one where we sort of got, got into the second half and it became quite apparent that changes needed to be made even some of the home games as well I think um, Newcastle Jake I don't know if you watched that one but we were sort of pounding down the door without really getting anywhere and it, it was quite obvious that we needed another creative midfielder on like Meyer and there was sort of 80-85th minutes to do so and by that point it's kind of too late So so yeah it's kind of it's it feels strange to be criticising Hodgson, especially after last season and kind of the miracle that he worked. Um, but I think given the fact that we had a fairly, I wouldn't say easy, but a fairly favourable start to the season in, in the sense that we've not played many of the big teams yet. Um, when you look at our, our points return, having only won two games and drawn one against sides that kind of you'd expect to be getting points off, um, questions have to actually start being asked of the manager. Do do you think that the substitutes are there that could impact the match? Do, do you think maybe it's a squad depth issue, or do you think it is just a tactical weakness of his? Um, I think I think it's a tactical weakness thing at the moment. It's, we've, as I said, the squads the squads probably strengthened over the summer. We've never we've never had a really deep squad. We've always been one of those sides who rely who has an over reliance on our starting eleven, um, and to be honest, has a over reliance on one player, Zaha, obviously, but. Um, I think, yeah, no, I think uh, this season I've looked at the bench and I've seen players who come on and make a difference. And then when they eventually have come on, they have made a difference. But by that point, they haven't got long enough to affect the game um, and sort of swing it in our favour. Next up, we'll head into Player Watch, where we're going to quickly discuss the players that have impressed us the most at our clubs this season. Jake, we'll lead in with you in Newcastle. Difficult, though, that may be. Yeah, that is difficult. Uh, A player that's impressed at, at Newcastle this season, well... Um, yeah, that is difficult. Um, yeah, I think Shelby is probably the one uh, I mentioned earlier. I think he's been really good, uh, created a lot of chances. I think he, he leads, uh, or he's one of the top English players in chances created. So I think he's doing really well there. 
uh, and he seems to have really stepped up his game recently, even though the team is struggling. He seems to really relish the the opportunity to be the main man in that team. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we get the results to support his performances because I think they're currently going under the radar, uh, despite him playing some of the best of his career. Um, another one would be, I think, Dubravka has been very good in goal. Um, you know, that, that says a lot about where we are. That I'm talking about our goalkeeper. And um, I think... Fernandez has been another one who's come in and done quite well. Um, but apart from that, there's not a lot to write about uh, or, or talk about in Newcastle. I think they're the three players that I think have, have done well. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not been good at all. But, yeah, Shelby would be the main one for me. All right. And for Palace, who, who do you think has really stood out? Um, I mean, a lot of people would probably expect me to say Zaha, but I'd actually point to another... Another guy who's actually come through our academy, um, Aaron Wambasaka, uh, the yeah. one that everyone's kind of cottoned onto as the the fancy Premier League bargain. Um, but yeah, it's 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 strange. He's one we kind of stumbled across last year. He, he only sort of came into the team because of injuries. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily through merit. Um, we had sort of this period last year. Where we sort of had eight, nine, ten first team players out, and sort of the only option was to bring him in and play him at right back. Um, and I think his first, the first games that he was playing last year was something like Spurs, um, Manchester United, and Chelsea, and uh, he just he didn't look out of place. Uh, and this and this season was kind of a question. It was always going to be a matter of either him or Joel Ward for that right back spot. Um, and I think it was quite a big, big sort of show of faith from Hodgson that he didn't go and sign a right back in the summer because that's kind of been a problem position for us over the last year. Um, and I mean, he's fully justified that decision. He kind of. There's sort of like there's still a rawness to him. Um, I mean, he he um, he gets caught out of position a few times, but he's got the speed to sort of get back and make these unbelievably well-timed challenges to sort of get himself out of trouble in those situations. And going forward, he's a massive threat as well. Um, there's been a few times this season where he sort of you look up and he sort of he's one of those players who can kind of get you out of this get you out of your seat, and he's a right back. Um, I mean, I point back to that Fulham game in the opening day again. Um, I think. Put him in a spot of bother with a crossfield pass in our own half, um, and he was sort of swarmed straight away by Mitrovic. Managed to hold him off, which is no mean feat in itself. Um, shimmied past Sessegnon and sort of um, threaded this perfectly weighted three ball to Zaha, which he wanted to score from. And it was kind of it was one of those moments where you sort of looked and thought, right, okay, this kid's actually a, a player, and he's um, someone that opposition fans have been praising after every game as well. Um, I remember on the on the t on the on the Eagles Beak Twitter account the um, earlier today, we actually got a tweet from an Everton fan saying. Um, Saying that obviously we weren't going to agree with his general general perception of the game, but what a talent that Wambasaka is, and I think I agree. And for his age, um, he's only going to get better at this point. Yeah, also currently leads the Premier League in tackles. One does Aaron Wambasaka. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I've, he's got um, he's got an interesting habit actually. Me and my brother often point it out at games that uh, it very unnecessarily goes to ground sometimes, but because he times them so well, it's always really enjoyable to watch, regardless. Yeah, he, you don't want to do it too much, but he no. is uh, he is nailing it at the moment. And as you said, I think, weirdly, this is one of the uh, times where fantasy football almost informed actual football fans, where a lot of people probably wouldn't have been paying attention. Um, but because of that, I think his hype has been building uh, in, in both the real sphere and in the fantasy sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, for Tottenham, the player that's been most impressive this year, 
is a tough one because a lot of our World Cup stars have been in and out of the squad. Um, so I'm going to just go left field, and it might be a little bit of recency bias, but uh, Eric Lamella has been incredible this year, as we thought he, he would be. Um, maybe just behind him is Lucas, and, and I'd say the only thing that separates them is really the uh, end product is Lamella. I think he has five goals and two assists in all competitions already this season, and most of them were in substitute appearances because his first Premier League start was this week. Um, so we're, we're starting to finally see some, like, Excellent wing play on the right, which we really haven't done in a long time, really since Townsend had that good half season for us, and then before that, Lennon. So it, it has not been a, a fantastic um, time for Tottenham over on the right wing, um, as Lamella struggled with injuries, didn't really settle in when he first moved to us. So the fact that now all of a sudden Lucas and Lamella can both provide for us on the right wing has been really invaluable, and it, it'll be interesting to see them kind of battle out for that position throughout the season. And if Sun doesn't really hit form soon, it'd be really interesting if we end up seeing one on either side, maybe push Lucas to the left um, and see what we can do with both of them on the pitch. But the pace that you have when you have both Lucas and Sun on either side is something that we've also missed for years. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that. But but for me, I'm going to go with Eric Lamella for now, whose creativity and goal scoring, which we didn't really expect too much, uh, have both been fantastic for us thus far this season. All right, now we're going to head into uh, match previews. It'll be the last thing we discuss today. Um, For uh, Tottenham, we obviously play midweek against PSV in the Champions League. Um, We're in a bit of a tight spot there uh, in Europe at the moment, considering Messi's injury. Uh, We'll cover both matches that Inter have against Barcelona, which could lead to them actually picking up points, whereas we were unable to, uh, at least at the Camp Nou. Um... But for us, in our particular match, we genuinely have to win. Uh, Obviously, Herving Lanzano, the player that uh, you need to be the most worried about when you're facing PSV at the moment. Uh, Hopefully, we can contain him just because our wingbacks are fairly decent. Um, But uh, it's going to be a tough one for sure. No Vertonghen, obviously, is he still hurt. No Deli Ali. Uh, It sounds like he'll be back the week after that. but fortunately, Eriksen back, Dembele back, both of them made the bench against West Ham. Both of them should be fully fit for this match here. Uh, the main concern is Kane, who, it, it, kind of like the Newcastle thing we talked about earlier, when Kane put in those three or four good matches, um, starting with the Brighton match and then afterwards, uh, including that uh, couple of assist performance against Spain, it, it's so easy to just think, oh, light switch, now he's fully back. Um, but the performance against West Ham surely shows that he's not just back just as before he wasn't just awful um it, there's obviously gradients in between there which narratively is frustrating and as a fan is frustrating because you'd love to just say harry kane's back and here come his 30 goals um but we'll see he, we we could really use a, a couple of goals from him in this one uh, to try to keep pace in the group stage here in the champions league um we'll follow that up by coming to you jake talking about southampton versus newcastle you mentioned it earlier that a win here could really cure a lot of the ills yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting one. I'm actually going to the game, so that's going to be fun. Um, not really looking forward to the game at all, but I'm sure it'll be a good day in Southampton. <laughs> so, um, no, I'm gonna. I, I think it's going to be. Yeah, it's it's two teams that don't score a lot of goals. I think it's going to be tight. Um, last year, we we should have won at St Mary's. We went one nil and two one up, and, and we should have seen that one through. We beat them at home, so you know we can take a lot of confidence from that. Um, and, and think that this is a team that we normally play well against. Uh, I think they've probably, you know, got had they've had a better start than us, but I still don't think they've been great. Um, 
think Danny Ings has been a good addition, but there's still a lot of problems in that team. And I don't think Marquis is ever going to, you know, manage a team to a top half Premier League finish again. So there's that. So I think I think we can go here with real optimism. Well, we can't go there with optimism because we are awful at the moment. But it's a game that we can go and think maybe we might not lose this one. So I'm I'm gonna I'm I I seem to be quite confident today. So I'm gonna say we're gonna go there and win. I think it's gonna be a result that turns our season. I think they're definitely a team that that we can beat. So yeah, I'll say we'll win. I don't think it's gonna be pretty, but I can see maybe maybe a a, a goal from a set piece or something getting us a win, and, and hopefully that starts us climbing the table. All right, and Sam, it may be a little difficult to preview your match against Arsenal as they're currently playing as we record, um, but uh, we can start up up front. Will it just be Zaha or Zaha and Townsend up there again? Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if they weren't, um, to be honest. It's a, it's another... Well, I'm, I'm not actually going to this one. I'm going to be in Madrid, thankfully, as far away as possible. <laughs> I'm not very optimistic going into the next run of fixtures. Uh, it's kind of... This sort of kickstarts a really tricky four-game spell where we've got Arsenal, Arsenal at home, Chelsea away, I think Spurs at home, and then United away. Um, but I kind of, I guess it's quite, if when you've got a run like that, it's the home games which you need to be targeting as the ones where you're going to be picking up points. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see us go with Zaha and Townsend up front, um, preferably as well. Uh, hopefully by that point, Hodgson will have realised that Max Meyer does need to be starting alongside. Koyate and Milivojevic in midfield um, and I think the, the thing with Arsenal I think you don't really know what you're going to get with them at the moment um, obviously they're scoring a lot of, a lot more goals um, obviously hammered Fulham in that last game uh, but defensively I think they still look a bit suspect um, I still have sort of a lot of reservations over Mustafi I don't think he's kind of a top six centre-back uh, so I think He's someone that we could get at if we put if we have sort of Zaha and Tamsin through the middle, sort of dragging him out of space. That could create that could create opportunities for other players to get forward, and hopefully we get some joy there. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's kind of one of those four game spells at the moment which you're going into with kind of minimal expectations. So whatever you get out of it is going to be a bonus. All right, and that will wrap it up for us today. So guys, if you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jaffa with two N's. Uh, I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room, among other sites, so check both of those ones out. Yep, you can uh, you can find me at Sam double underscore Carp on Twitter, or uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'll be manning the Eagles Beak Twitter account on match days a lot of the time, uh, writing the occasional article and also a company called Sports Pro if you want to read some of my stuff on there. All right, well, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Sam, thank you very much in particular for making your debut. I think you did a fantastic job. Jake, you were fantastic as well, but that's that's to be expected at this stage. Um, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my fantasy articles at Goal and ESPN, so check those out if fantasy is tickles your fancy. All right, guys, thanks again for joining us. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.